Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Brian Schott, political correspondent with the Salt Lake Tribune and host of the podcast, Utah Politics with Brian Schott. And Amy Donaldson, reporter with the Deseret News and co-host of the Voices of Reason podcast. And Max Roth, anchor with Fox 13 News. So glad to have you all here. This has been a big week in politics and Utah has taken uh, center stage and a lot of conversations in Washington, D.C. as well. And I want to get right into that first. Uh, Amy, let's start, start with you because uh, President Trump is, is on full campaign mode right now. And we're starting to see some kind of similarities to what he did in 2016, particularly when it comes to uh, things that Utahns care about, one being the Supreme Court picks. Yeah. In 2016, when he was running for election, he said, I'm going to pick the kind of candidates you want for the Supreme Court. This is for the Scalia seat at the time. He's done this again. Put out a list. Talk about the list and maybe some Utahns that are on it. Well, I think the interesting thing about the list is that this time there's not a vacancy. So I think people were a little baffled by uh, the timing of the list, right? So why are you releasing the list now? What does that, what does that say? And um, are you just trying to communicate with voters about who you would? Because, um, you know, we did have Joe Biden say, I, would, I will absolutely uh, put a woman of color, uh, a, a black woman on the Supreme Court. That would be my pick. So he hasn't given us a list, but he's kind of said, if you're interested in this, I think it's... Um, I think it's remarkable how much that has become a singular issue for people. Um, I think it's unfortunate. Um, so I, I thought the timing of the list coming out at the same time, the tapes of him with Woodward were a little suspect. As far as locals on the list, um, you know, I it was a long list, um, yeah. and some people were very well known. Some of them were curious, uh, like Senator Ted Cruz. Um, I think you know. Uh, I, I didn't pay a ton of attention to it because I thought it was like a campaign thing saying these are the kind of people I'll and we kind of know who he'll pick based on his two the two appointments he's already made. Max what do you think about that? I mean, is, this, well, is this a political list or? Yes, and but it's uh, but there's substance to the politics of it, and uh, in in what can sometimes be a baffling campaign where you're wondering what the strategy is with messaging. This is one of the, one of them that makes sense um, because this is an issue, as Amy was saying, that uh, conservative voters vote on, and that even uh, voters who would express some distaste with how they feel personally about uh, the president still think, okay, well, he did this and this. He appointed. Uh, uh, he, he appointed two judges who are conservatives, and now he has, for Utahns, he has Mike Lee and Thomas Lee on the list. Thomas Lee, uh, Senator Mike Lee's brother, who's on the Utah Supreme Court. Uh, and they were, they were on the lists before as well. And on the, the Democratic side of things, you know, it, it is an issue because uh, I, I think Democrats go to bed each night praying for the health of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and uh, because they, they realize that uh, any appointments that come up will be replaced some of the some of the longstanding liberals on the court. Right. Brian, do you think this issue is still as important to Utahns as they said it was in 2016? Does this list help with Republicans in the state? 
I don't know if it helps with Republicans in the state. I mean, it's a it's a campaign tactic that Trump has tried before. Um, but I don't know if it's going to work this time around. There was actually a poll that came out from the Pew Research Center earlier this month that showed that more de Democrats are now naming Supreme Court picks as their top reason for voting than Republican voters. It was 66% uh, of de Democrats and 61% of Republican voters. So that's that switch. I think uh, de dem Democrats are starting to understand uh, that um, uh, uh, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's health is uh, in danger, um, and she's probably going to either have to step down or will leave the court in the next term. So uh, they're looking at maybe one or two appointments. Also look at Clarence Thomas. So, you know, I, I agree with Amy. The timing of this was 100% tried to uh, uh, hijack the news cycle away from those terrible, terrible tapes of uh, Trump talking to reporter Bob Woodward. That's why he did it. It made no other sense otherwise. Um, it's just, it, it just shows me that the Trump campaign is flailing to find a message, uh, especially as they're trying to distract from all this news about the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this this Bob Woodward book and the, uh, that's coming out and the tapes themselves. So Amy, this, the, the timing is interesting, yeah. but also our, our own Senator Mitt Romney got involved in this conversation a bit. Yeah, I think his response was, uh, it's not ideal. <laughs> um, I think, uh, I mean, I listened to as much as I could. I mean, this is the way the news cycle is. There's so much breaking yeah. and there's so much that's heavy, um, you know, uh, with uh, the, m the West on fire right now, it's different and people being evacuated and that impacting people that I know and love that. It's just, there's been a lot, but I think the, um, the tapes were, uh, we're shocking to me in that he is so measured in the interviews and, and in my opinion, very intelligently processing um, advice from medical professionals, including Dr. Fauci, and in a way that would give me confidence in him, except that then he went on and daily undermined that very knowledge. It, it spoke, uh, in my opinion, was completely dishonest about what he was being told and what he knew to be true, as was the vice president. At, at times, I feel like that probably indicts anybody who's in that circle. Maybe our governors who are all on calls. We had a lieutenant governor who was head of our coronavirus task force so for me it's a huge indictment and, and it very much undermines uh, the credibility for me of the government response and I think uh, secondly as a Bob Woodward fan and a lifelong journalist I've been a journalist since 10th grade in high school um, I was extremely disappointed that he had those tapes and that he sat on them for the scoop rather than um, released them in May. I mean, he said he had to take a while to co corroborate some of the information, but he could have, I mean, I've been collecting the names of people who've died. I've been talking with relatives who've lost someone to COVID. We have 191,000 citizens of our country who are lost to this disease. And I think it's unconscionable. And I think it just for me underscored how much everyone's out for themselves and not th th there's not a lot of people putting other people's welfare ahead of their own. That, that was just my take on it. So, so let me give a quote, uh, Max, maybe give a comment, because this mm -hmm. was from Mitt Romney, who's, who's responding to this very, this, this exact point that you were just making, Amy, about uh, downplaying uh, the, the potential ramifications or the seriousness of it. And Mitt Romney said, uh, I think it's fair to say we have not distinguished ourselves in a positive way in how we responded to the crisis when it was upon us. And the proof of the pudding of that is simply that we have 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's deaths due to COVID-19. And there's no way to spin that in a positive light. 
You know, I uh, I feel as I as I listen to Amy talking about these numbers as well, uh, that that's simply a statement of fact. Uh, what what Mitt Romney said in, in that the number of deaths we have and the percentage of the of the world's population we are, and it's uh, it, it is just such a strange time that we're living in, mm -hmm. and it's a hard one to process uh, when it's your job to communicate uh, these sorts of things because um, there are times where I'll point those things out. It's been a part of uh, a kind of my beat going through this is to keep track of that data and uh, and tell people how things are going. And when you simply state, you know, the United States has not done well. We have more people who are dead than any other country by far, more people with the coronavirus. I get very angry responses from people who who say that I'm taking a side, that yeah, I'm taking and, a stand, and, and that is, and, and I, I, it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to process because I I, I don't want to be perceived that way, and yet um, that is what Romney said is a very, uh, just a clear statement of fact. But what Romney failed to do in that statement, in my opinion, he did just state some facts. He mm -hmm. did say our it, were, it wasn't ideal, right? He, it wasn't a great response, but he failed to say. How do you feel about the leader of this response, the leader of our country, um, no, having these conversations, in-depth conversations with a reporter, where he acknowledges that this is going to be bad and it's going to be difficult. And that tells me they could have done more to save businesses. They could have done more to help people who are now getting evicted from their homes, who don't have uh, medical insurance. We could have done so much more if we would have acknowledged that publicly, right? Oh, go, I'm going to let Brian go. Okay, okay go ahead, Brian. Well, you know, I think, and, and, and I just want to point out, I actually have a preview copy of the book right <laughs> oh, here boy. that I've been reading. I'm about 60 pages in. But um, what this points out is it, it, it was a typical Trump move. Um, and he made a huge mistake. He thought he could charm Bob Wood Woodward. And you don't do that. You know, he thought that he could charm him. A CNN reported this morning that there are 19 tapes of 10 hours of interviews with uh, with, with Trump. Um, and he thought that he was going to be able to get one over on Bob Wood Woodward, which is what he's been able to do his entire career. And that just doesn't work. But it also shows that Trump politicized the response of this for his own electoral gain. And he said it many, many times. He was worried about the stock market. He was worried about spooking the stock market. Uh, he didn't want those numbers to go down. So he politicized this for his own electoral gain. And you're seeing an, an incredible lack of courage in the Republican Party, especially among s senators who, when asked about these tapes, all of a sudden had uh, talked about how they had never heard of books before, they had never heard of the internet before. They had never read the book. They don't know what re reading is. Um, please leave me alone. They don't want to talk about this because they are so scared of Trump tweeting about them. Um, and, and that's the pickle that they're in because Trump has a base in all of their states. They can't win with just that base but they can't win with without it either. So they have to basically feign like they don't know anything and leave Trump alone. But uh, the, the response to this was absolutely d disastrous. And we had a chance, and it's clear from these tapes, to have a better response to this, and we just didn't. Well, 
And, and, and getting back to uh, what, what the um, content of those of the tapes was, um, the thing that was most startling to me was, I, I believe it was February 7th. Um, uh, so, so this is before, this is a month I and a half before the shutdown. February 6th, yeah. when there were basically six Utahns on cruise ships. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And, and at that point, we were still in this mode where as, uh, as reporters and with all the public messaging and everything else, it was, you know, we don't know about face masks. We don't know about transmission other than, you know, make sure you wash your hands. You're talking about contact with surfaces more than anything. Um, and what we've learned over time is that it's airborne uh, is, is something of a, of a far bigger concern than contact, even though, I mean, be concerned about both. But, um, but the president said on February 7th, even the content of uh, his conversations with uh, Xi Jinping of China, uh, that this is uh, a deadly airborne illness that's five times uh, more deadly than a severe flu. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's something that if he had said it out loud, that would have that would have even that would have changed what we could even be saying because he knew more than we in the press knew but at I that think moment. More than that, let's not fixate on Trump. Like there were a lot of people who had this information. Why didn't we have enough PPE? Why didn't we have enough ventilators? Why why didn't we have a better strategy to help businesses that were going to have to shut down? If we knew this a month and, a, and five weeks before we were shutting businesses down, why didn't we have better plans that or month better of strategy? February is that lost month? March seventeenth is when we shut down. March seventeenth. So there's all that time where there could have been strategy for getting PPE into the hands. We had nurses in New York in garbage bags. Yeah. We've had yeah. seven healthcare yeah. professionals in one hospital die from, the, from, from taking care of people in incorrect PPE, insufficient PPE. So it's not a small thing, and there are lots of people to blame. And in my opinion, if it was that widespread and that understood, mm -hmm. nobody has clean hands. And there are 191,000 Americans, and we deserve to know what do they plan to do now? What is next? No more of this partisan stuff for me. Everybody, er yeah, everybody in the government coming, knows this. You have to keep coming back to the White House, though. There's been multiple reports that they politicized the response to this. There was the Vanity Fair report that Jared Kushner was in charge of a national response, and he decided not to because it was mostly hitting de Democratic states, and he saw a political advantage out of that. He didn't think forward that it might hit some of the Republican states down the line. So that's why we didn't have a national response. So the White House politicized the response to this from the beginning. Hey, and it's Brian, shameful. Brian, what is, what's the impact on the election then? Are you, are you ready to call right now? What, what, what is going to happen because of that? Well, here's the thing. We've got eight weekends until election day, right? Trump is behind. The mood of the country is a firing mood. He's behind in a lot of the swing states. There have been reports that his campaign lit a billion dollars on fire, and now they're cash poor heading into the stretch. They're not advertising in Pennsylvania. They're not advertising in Michigan. They're not advertising in Wisconsin. They're not advertising in Arizona. Those are states that they need. Um, he needs uh, good news cycles to turn this thing around, and he can't change the subject from the coronavirus. I personally think that this cake is baked, and he's in a lot of trouble. I don't, there's not a lot of time for him to turn this around, because he needs to stop the bleeding first. We've got eight weekends to, to go. Amy, maybe not? Uh, I disagree, yeah, I think that, um I think if you look at the swing states the st and you look at the polls and you look at, I think his lead has, the lead that Biden had in those states after the conventions is shrinking. And I think he, President Trump has a solid base, 38% of the people who voted in the last election are so solidly for him that 
his uh, prediction of being able to shoot someone on Fifth Avenue is correct. And, and sort of proved now, he, he let 191,000 of us down and, uh, and, and a lot of economic turmoil. And so, and, and I don't think he's gonna pay a price with those people. The question is, this little 10%, and can you get out new voters? I think uh, young voters, this is the first election, I think that most of the kids who were either born or babies on 9-11, um, which we're recording on, um, will be able to vote. And those kids have a completely different take on this. And, and they're graduating high school, they're going to college, they're in this m moment, and so I think, I think it matters who you mobilize. I think it matters where you mobilize. And I think if we learned anything from 2016, it's that um, the polls and in, within the margin of error, they sort of were correct, but they, but we need to remember that there's electoral, electoral college at work and there are very critical places to be. Okay, last, last word on this one, Brian. If you look at the 538 averages in the swing states, Arizona, Biden 5 plus 1, Pennsylvania, Biden 5 plus 1, Nevada, Biden plus 6.4, Michigan, Biden plus 7.4. That's the ball game. Trump right now is leading in states where he has 123 electoral votes. I don't see where he gets the other 147. He's in deep, deep trouble. You know, um, I, I, the, I, I, I've, I, tune into 538 every day too, well, several times every day because it's it's fun to see their models. But their model uh, is, uh, last time, it it gave uh, Trump a 30% chance of winning, and he won. And uh, right now, it gives him a 25% chance of winning. And so those are, the, those are, we're talking about probabilities and things could happen between now and the election. Uh, and But, I mean, Brian is right that all indications are that the electorate has been moving that way. Um, one thing that's different about uh, Biden's uh, poll numbers than Clinton's is that he has consistently been at 50% or higher. Um, and so that that's, no one was reaching that 50% level in the polls preceding the last election. Mm -hmm. Before we leave this one entirely, and it's, it's just an interesting comment about the polls, but I want to talk about the commentary too. We're getting from, from three of you who are members of the media, mm -hmm. and I want to talk about this for a second, because what you mentioned a moment ago, Max, is I, I think exactly right, is when you say something, you get a response pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And we even have, uh, not just the president, but even Mike Lee just this week talking about the influence of the media on this election and on the issues even around coronavirus. And why I thought it was interesting, Mike Lee even decided maybe KSL.com was uh, a little too liberal. Mm -hmm. Talk Did about you that. have that on your weird 2020 bingo card? <laughs> Along with windstorms and earthquakes and a, and a pandemic, uh, I did not think uh, I was gonna hear someone accuse KSL of being too liberal. Okay, so Amy, I wanna hear about this, and Brian's done a lot of reporting so, uh, yes. on this, all the reporting on this too, but sure. so, so you're affiliated with KSL.com through Deseret News. Okay, give yeah. us, why is he going after KSL.com? Um, I think he goes after KSL.com for the same reason anybody goes after news media, and that's because they don't like what they're publishing, right? So I think the thing that you should know about KSL.com, and I've written for KSL.com, even though I don't technically work for them, um, they are a little bit um, more liberal than, say, the DeseretNews.com is, um, especially in editorial content. And they take uh, contributions from a wider range of people, right? So the general public and correspondents, so, and guest editorials. So, uh, you know, what he's unhappy with is that um, an organization that he sees as uh, some certain thing, if we share, if they share an opinion that he doesn't like, he wants to shut it down. Um, I think this is, I mean, this is a problem that we have right now with the media. They said something I don't like, I'm canceling my subscription, I don't wanna know stuff that I don't wanna know, um, la, 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 la. And I think we have to get back to 
in loving to having some thought provoking stuff come at us. I love to read. I mean, Brian's one that I read and Brian will get me hot. I've even exchanged <laughs> with Brian before. I like, I like to, somebody to make me think some, about something different, right? Challenge me. Um, I, I, we need to get back to that, especially when it comes to opinion and editorial content. If you want straight news, uh, you know, there's plenty of that. And that, that's where we have something in common. But right now, even straight news feels political. It feels uh, un, like people are yeah. calling you out. It's a great point. Almost every aspect of our lives has a political flag yeah. planted Nothing. on it. Nothing is sacred anymore. So interesting. Okay, Brian, please give us a comment about this because you've been doing all this reporting and this, this question from Mike Lee as well. Well, Amy will understand this phrase because she used to cover sports. Working the refs. That's what he's doing. Mm -hmm. That's what all politicians do. They're trying to influence their coverage. Um, you know, uh, Mike Lee does not like uh, what KSL is, is putting out there. Um, I picked this up on his personal f Facebook page, which is absolutely fascinating. His personal Facebook page is just chock full of stuff that you would not expect a sitting United States Senator to be saying. Uh, that's where he's really launched a lot of these broadsides against KSL. I actually had a member from a congressional office uh, talk to me on Thursday after reading my story and they said it always amazes me what Mike Lee decides to spend his time and energy on. So this is a strange thing for him to be going after. Um, he's clearly trying to influence their coverage. Don't forget his former chief of staff Boyd Matheson is the opinion editor over at the D News um, which is kind of under the same umbrella but not really as Amy said it's a separate organization um, so I don't know what connection there is there but it's it's a really strange thing for Mike Lee to be doing. I can say I've worked closely with Boyd. Boyd and I have had plenty of debates as well on the air and off. Um, but he's completely that's that relationship is friendly, um, as it would be with most people in a former boss. But he has no no influence over or sway over Boyd. And Boyd doesn't have any sway over what happens on KSL.com, even though he appears on a radio show on KSL. That's it's his. That's his, no one. He doesn't run that past anyone. That is just what he does himself. And so I, there it is weird because there are these separate companies within. In, uh, but we are all owned by the same owner. And I think what Mike is, I mean, it feels, I know people in my organization and in KSL's organization who are uncomfortable being called a liberal or who be uncomfortable being called a progressive or uncomfortable with being criticized for an opinion. I did a column for many years and I've, uh, so I, I, I actually uh, always ask myself, where are they coming from? Sometimes I laugh about the criticism, which is silly, but, but I think, um, again, I think that, the unfortunate part about this is people will say, and I see it on Facebook, there's lots of Facebook groups discussing this right now. Um, yeah, we need to boycott KSL, we need to shut them down, right? You're this, seeing that. this is the this is and I, I don't know what impact it has long term, but I know this. When somebody says something I don't like, I subscribe to their I, I try to understand more yeah. rather than shut up don't don't talk to me. I don't want to hear what you what you you're making me uncomfortable, I don't want to hear that. Yeah, there's a sense. Um, I, I think when you uh, look at uh, at the substance of of the article that I remember uh, was at the at the root of at least part of this was uh, KSL.com publishing something about uh, uh, President Trump uh, praising members or people who believe in the QAnon conspiracy yeah. mm -hmm. theory mm -hmm. and uh, and thanking them or being appreciative so of them were, for supporting him. Yeah. And yeah, that's what he said is that he he understands he doesn't know about much about it, but he he's heard that they're patriotic. 
patriotic and they and they uh, uh, support him and he appreciates that. So it, honestly, it was a pretty straightforward, uh, again, a factual thing that that article was saying. It wasn't uh, it wasn't an opinion piece. Um, Senator Lee has a, you know he has a dog in this hunt. Uh, I think he's uh, we, we started this whole conversation talking about his aspirations to the Supreme Court. Joe Biden's not going to uh, elect him to the Supreme Court. That's true. That is true. Or, or appoint him. No? Yeah. So interesting. Everything yeah. just goes through our own lens, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, so let's talk about a couple other things uh, really quickly in the last couple of minutes, because I want to make sure we get to a couple other items that will be on the ballot uh, in November. We have to talk about some constitutional amendments. We have seven of them uh, that we'll be voting on. This is going to be a long ballot. This is what oh, I love, vote by yeah. mail, because you can sit with your ballot and your computer and research them as you oh, go. So oh, it warms it. my heart, the <laughs> research. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I want to, in the interest of time, a couple I want to get to. First, let's talk about Amendment C, Max, okay? This one uh, removes references to slavery from the Utah Constitution. Tell us what is in there now that will be struck based on this amendment. Well, it has an exception to allow slavery in a particular instance, which is when you are uh, essentially in prison, when you are incarcerated, you're convicted of a crime. So it says, you know, we, we do, we, we uh, I, I forget the wording, no but, it, but it says no person enslaved. shall be enslaved unless they're a convict and then they can be. And, um, and, and you may listen to that and think, well, we do have people working in prison, duh, duh, duh. but it, there's a, it, I think we're, co we're coming to grips with so many racial things in our country. And there is a real history in our country uh, after the Civil War with the 13th Amendment also allowing the same thing. And that was the loophole where a lot of, uh, a lot of our black population uh, after the Civil War um, was forced back into servitude by being arrested for penny ante crimes and then being forced to work. And um, and that's something that we should get rid of. I mean, it's, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be taking a stand on a, on a constitutional amendment, but it was, it was unanimous in the state it, legislature. It, was. it just doesn't, slavery doesn't belong and in so I, politics. For me, it's a meaningful change and we should support it. Um, I would love that it would, was also accompanied by meaningful change in our criminal justice and in our institutions of government. So it, I, I think it's absolutely essential to have that reference taken out. I think we need to think about whether or not we want to have um, people working for 30 cents or 50 cents or 75 cents uh, as prisoners at the Utah State Prison. Uh, what, what companies are benefiting from those kinds of contracts? We have firefighters out there who do, will not have life insurance if they're killed, but they, uh, but they but they get paid way less than minimum wage. It's ridiculous. And it's, it's, it's something that as a society, we should ask ourselves, is this what we want to condone? Is this uh, something we want to do? But I think it's absolutely essential to take those words out because words matter and that idea of us completely rejecting that idea, it, it matters. Okay, it's got to be the last word on that one. We'll follow all of these amendments over the, the coming weeks on the Hinkley Report. Thank you for your great insights this evening. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.